to you about vision today. Vision. And uh, we've kind of been on that roll for your personal life. I'll unpackage that in a bit. But let me give you a simple working definition of vision. This is very vague, and we'll unpackage it and go into more detail. But vision in its simplest terms is being able to move people from here to there. When you think of it, it's moving from here to there. And so as you think about your personal life, as you think about your spiritual life, your physical life, uh, where you're at mentally, part of vision is looking at where you're at saying, I've got to move. Now, what causes us to want to move from here to there? When we become uh, dissatisfied, discontent, frustrated, fatigued, we feel stale, we feel stagnant, all of a sudden we start to look at our lives and think, I've got to do something. There's so much more in life that I'm missing out on. Something's got to change. My buddy Kevin Reach was in the first service. He's the football coach at Monroe area. It'd be in Super Bowl Sunday. I'll tell you a story on Kevin. Kevin was at Collins Hill, had a great football program going over there, had incredible resources, facilities, whatever. But Kevin really felt in his heart that God was leading him to coach closer to home, and he took the Monroe area job. Now, it's a much uh, more poverty-stricken kind of environment in school. Monroe area had won seven football games the previous three seasons. Kevin took over last January. He comes in, and he starts to have vision. He starts getting these boys in the weight room. He starts getting these boys eating better. He starts getting these boys to buy in that they can be something that they've never been. And this past year, they won 10 football games, made it to the playoffs, and it was because he had vision, and those guys bought into it. They were tired of being here. They were tired of losing. They were tired of being the laughing stock of the region. And they're like, well, if coach is right, we're going to buy into what he's saying. And they started to move from here to there. And reality is in your personal journey, you're not going to change. In your spiritual journey, you will not change if you're not dissatisfied, discontent, if you're not just frustrated with where you're at. A lot of us kind of have those resolutions January 1st, and they fade by the end of January, but we're talking about living a life resolved into the purposes of God. We've got to have vision. From a spiritual standpoint, here's a definition of vision for you. Vision is discovering God's plan as it relates to your life. Collectively in the Word of God, God's given us, an, uh, if you will, a vision for the body of believers. But selectively, according to your gifts, abilities, and passions, and the DNA that God has poured inside of you, there's certain things that God has wired you to do. Vision is having foresight with some insight, probably based on some hindsight. Come on. But when you have vision, you start to see what's ahead of you. It's beginning with the end in mind. I know where I'm going. My destination determines my preparation. I know where I'm trying to get to. And so wherever you're trying to go in life will determine what you pack along the trip. We've got to live with eternity as the backdrop. Uh, vision is being able to bridge the gap between the present and the future. Now, I can tell you where we're at. I can tell you where we had been. And, uh, but I've got to tell you where we're going. I can tell you when I got here, the church was disoriented. The church was confused. There was a lot of chaos and frustration. I can tell you when we got here that the church had about $5.8 million of debt that I inherited from the previous regime. Now, I can tell you that we've trimmed about $1.2 off of it. 
I can tell you that when I got here, there was only 15,000 a year designated for missions. I can tell you that number's over 100,000 now that we're investing in missions. I can tell you we've moved from here to there, and now we find ourselves here, and we got to go there again. So part of vision is being able to experience that movement. Now, vision is not the same as ambition. Ambition is what you want to do. But vision is what God wants you to become and who he wants us to become. You can have ambition, and ambition can be misguided. But God created us to be human beings, not human doers. Once we start to tap into what it means to be a human being fully alive in Christ, then God starts to show us what to do with our life day in and day out. Now, here's the deal. The intersection with ambition and vision is where the will of man becomes surrendered to the will of God. As I said last week, Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane prays, Father, if it be your will, let this cup pass from me, but not my will, but your will be done. So, to say it another way, my will must be lost if God's will is going to become alive in my journey. And so, God wants you to live a life with ambition, but vision based on a God-style perspective has got to drive your ambition. Come on, Chad. Each and every one of us has got to be locked in to what God is doing. So you've got to ask yourself the question, each and every one of us, who am I living for and what am I living for? Who calls the shots? Who am I ultimately living for? And what am I living for? Because I believe that you have been sent into this world by God to accomplish a God-sized vision, not a human vision, not something that can just be lived out in the natural, but something that God is wanting you to press into the supernatural to believe the impossible with. I believe that's what God is calling us to. So each and every one of us were called by God to live with this kingdom perspective. Again, Eternity is the backdrop. Because of where I'm going, because of who I'm going to spend eternity with, I want every day, every play, I want everything to count along this path. Now, Proverbs 29, 18, I I want you to hear it. I want you to get it. The King James has been quoted by many with Proverbs 29, 18. And people will quote where there's no vision, the people perish, but it's limited there for me. I think the New American Standard and the English Standard translations that we have give us a better understanding. It says where there's no vision. I've painted up vision. As Oswald Sanders would say, eyes that look are common, but eyes that see are rare. We've got to have the Holy Spirit living inside of us if we're going to be able to see the things God wants us to see. If not, we just look. Come on. So, where there's no vision... The people are unrestrained. What do you mean by that? I'll get there. But joyful, blessed and full is he who keeps and obeys the law of God. Blessed is the man, based on someone, who meditates day and night on the law of the Lord. Blessed is the man who obeys and keeps the law of the Lord, which means I've got to know the God of the Word, and then I've got to know the Word of God, and I've got to be implementing, pursuing, and keeping. He says where there's no vision, what is vision that he's laying out? 
Knowing God and knowing God's word, knowing God's commands, his statutes, the testimonies of the Lord. He says where there's no vision, the people are unrestrained. What is restrained means? When we look at that word restrained, it means to have discipline, direction, foundation, and principles that drive our lives. When we're lost and alienated and separated from Christ, we're unrestrained. We don't have discipline. We don't have uh, direction. We don't have no foundation in our life. But he says, blessed is the man, joyful is the man who keeps the law of the Lord. So when you start to get the disciplines and the direction and the foundation, it helps direct us through the obstacles, the tension, and the turmoil that we face in life. Then, when you start to encounter difficulty and obstacles, you don't throw the towel in, but you see those obstacles of being nothing more than opportunity to exercise your faith so that you can grow stronger. Adversity becomes a gift, not a curse, and you start to mount up with those wings and you go, I got to grow. I've got to trust more because you have vision now that God is using whatever you're going through to grow you up. Now, here's what I want you to know. Vision. Vision is what we see and how we see it. Every one of you in this room has some type of vision. What you see and how you see it, you've got a certain lens you're looking through. Now, to me, when I start to Uh, really incorporate God-style vision, it is the lens that causes me to view myself in a healthy way, to view others in a right way, and it causes me to have the right concept of God. Whatever lens you're looking through is going to determine how you see yourself, how you see others, and how you see God. That's the reason A.W. Tozier, in his book, Knowledge of the Holy, said, your concept and view of God is the most crucial image you'll ever have in your mind. How do you view God? How do you view others? How do you view yourself? Paul prayed this in Ephesians. Paul prayed that the eyes of our heart would be enlightened. That's what he means, Dean. He prayed that we would have vision from the heart to see things according to a God-style perspective. I'm praying for you that your eyes that your heart would be enlightened. I want you to see things from God's perspective. Once we start to do that, we will become dissatisfied with where we're at. Oswald Chambers, in my utmost force highest, said this. He said, a sanctified dissatisfaction is the first essential in being able to run the Christian race, which means I've got to get dissatisfied with where I'm at and always be desiring to become more of what God wants me to be. Make sense? Come on. So now, now over the last four weeks here, we've kind of laid out vision for you, vision for your personal life. We started the year by talking about having a spiritual growth plan. And if you missed it, you can access our message. All my notes are online. But we talked about how it is so important for you and why it is so important for you daily to have a spiritual growth plan. Word. Prayer, journaling, fellowship, living in community, extending the love of Christ to others. And we drilled into that. And then when Barbara and I were gone, Dustin did such a phenomenal job talking about the aroma of Christ. And really, what do you smell like? Do you smell like the world? 
or do you smell like Jesus? And if you get that spiritual growth plan and Christ starts to really groom and, and, and establish his spirit inside, you'll start, you'll start to smell the sweet aroma like Christ. Then we talked about reaching your neighbor with the love of Christ. And I talked about whatever you've got, whatever you've got in your hand, whatever God has entrusted, use it to reach others. Be ready to share your story. You can do it. And then last week, we unpackaged this whole narrative about overcoming failure. And these last four weeks have been nothing more than vision for you, moving you from here to there in your spiritual journey, but we've laid it out. Now, later today, the Patriots and the Eagles are going to go at it. They're going to play in Super Bowl 52. But I can promise you this. When the season started, they had a vision to win the Super Bowl. They got together. That young kid that had been drafted out of the Dakotas by Philadelphia, Wentz, who is a born-again, fired-up brother, he was a young quarterback in the NFL, but he had a vision. I'm going to lead my team to the Super Bowl. We're going to win it this year. Then, then he gets hurt. Then they bring in their backup, Foles. And this dude is going to seminary right now, taking classes because he wants to pastor, and all of a sudden he finds himself as the starting quarterback. But I guarantee you, if you went back when those guys were doing two-a-days, they had a vision. Guys, come February 4th, let me tell you where we're going to be. We're going to be in Minnesota. And we're going to play in the Super Bowl, but we've got to work every day, and we've got to implement these plays, and we've got we to play every play hard. We've got to do the necessary conditioning and training and everything we've got to do. That's where we're going. And they're there today. They had a vision. Now, I want to share with you a vision. Now, for the church, where we're at and where we've got to go. Where we're at and where we've got to go. Because I believe, I believe Paul, that God wants every person in this room being a spiritual champion, being a champion for the kingdom. He wants every person in this room winning for the kingdom. Now, they laugh at me. They, they laugh at me. My kids will laugh at me. Nick made fun of me this week on the announcement video because he's like, how do I close this? And he said, go win for the kingdom. And my kids will say that, well, you, you haven't used that in a few weeks. Go in for the kingdom because you're a champion. And God is wanting to groom within you a champion spirit so that your life counts and you start to become a kingdom player every day. Come on. So let me give you who we are, what we do, why we're doing it, and where we're headed. Now, get this. What is your mission statement? Now, when I first got here, I talked about our mission statement is reaching Loganville and beyond. But over the last months, we looked and said, we've got to tweak it. This is where we're at. This is who we are. So what's the mission? I want every person in this room to know what our mission statement is. Our mission statement is connecting your story with Christ and others. That's what we do well. That's what we're implementing pretty much in every ministry we've got, no matter what Room you walk in, whether it's over here with Surge with the young kids, high school ministry, a small group, what you'll see happening is they are committed to connecting your story with Christ and others. Now, now, now let me say this. Listen, listen, listen. The Cross Loganville is not an entertainment culture. If you've been a part of fellowships and churches where it was more entertainment, that, that's not who we are. If you want to be entertained, Spend $10 and go to the movies. 
That's not who we are. We are an equipping culture. We believe that God has called us to equip our people. I'll unpackage that. Now, as you look at it, this is not a place to come and just sit and chill. This is a place to grow and to go. My, my friends Drew and Teresa, she was on the keys this morning. But they started coming back around June, July, whenever it was. And uh, I love this couple. We, we've spent some good time together. But Drew told me, he said, I, I told Teresa the first Sunday we ever left here, this ain't going to be one of them churches you can just kind of go in there and sit and do nothing. He's like, they inspire you and require you to get off your butt. And I said, Drew, you were very insightful. Because we're not here to entertain. We're here to equip the church. Make sense? So as we unpackage this, what we want to see is every member of the body of Christ fully alive. We want to see you converted. We want to see you committed. We want to see you connected. We want to see you contributing. We want to see you get off the sidelines and in the game. We want to see you become a participator. We want to see God using you to do works in you and through you that you never thought possible. Ephesians 3.20, now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above anything we could ask or think according to his great power now residing. I want to see every person fully alive in Christ. Now, Ephesians 4, Ephesians 4, beginning in verse 11, God handed out gifts. Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4 talk about spiritual gifts. God handed out gifts. He gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, gave some to be pastor teachers, pastor shepherds overseeing the flock of God. He handed out gifts. So some of the gift mix that God's placed inside of me is pastoring and teaching. Got a little evangelist, got a little apostle in there. But anyway, a little prophetic style mix in there. But the primary gift mix, Dustin, is I want you to pastor and I want you to teach your people. Now, now what is the pastor teacher's responsibility? Their responsibility is to equip, listen to me, equip God's people, those who have repented and confessed that Jesus is Lord, I want you to equip my people to do my work. I want you to build up the church, which is the body of Christ. And I want you to keep equipping and building up until we're all moving in rhythm with each other, preserving the unity of the Spirit. I want to see you moving in rhythm, efficient, graceful, in response to God's son of what he's doing in your life. I want to see fully mature adults. I want to see fully developed, fully alive, like Christ people. Last summer, I do leadership training with the Royals, Kansas City Royals, a few days a month. And uh, this group that the Royals had drafted, I was out there doing some life coaching, doing some ministry with them. And the one young man that we had drafted uh, from Alabama was in a church over there, and uh, he and I were talking, and he's like, man, I love where I go to church. And I'm like, that's so cool. He goes, Sunday morning. Sunday morning's for the non-believer. Sunday morning's to try to get lost people in the church. <laughs> what Bible are you reading out of, bro? The Scripture says it is our responsibility to equip the saint for the work of the service. 
The scripture says that if we become fully alive, I'm just one of you, that Monday through Saturday, highways and hedges, taking it to the streets, we're sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with our world. We've got to be equipped, become responsible, maturing, and that's what God has called us to do. Make sense? Come on. So we desire to see each person understand this. Three words, I'll jog through them quickly. We want to see each person understand surrender, solitude, and stewardship. We want to see people not just pray a prayer and go through the motions, jump in a tank of water, which is the culture of the South. But we, we want to see people surrender to the Lordship of Jesus. We want to see people totally committed, responding to the pursuit of the Lord in your life every day. I'm like, I want to see you surrendered and fully alive. Also, solitude. It is important for each and every one of us to spend solitude time with God. We get up in the mornings early. I was up this morning at about 4.45, not because I'm spiritual, but because I can't sleep. So anyway, I'm up at 4.45, but I'm praying through today, and I'm praying through where, where God's got me right now. But the time of prayer, the time of listening to worship music, the time of writing down even more thoughts, when you get along with God and nobody's running interference and you're able to hear from the Holy Spirit, you've got to establish solitude. And then we believe that every person should understand stewardship. When you look at your time, your resources, your giftedness, your energies, whatever you've got, it's like, man, I want to steward that for the kingdom, meaning I want to manage what belongs to God. It's not mine. So we're seeing movement. People moving from just being random in regards to their stewarding of time, resources, whatever, to becoming more regular. And then we're seeing people become radical. And that's what God's called us to live, radical lives, lives of generosity. Now, let me tell you what we value here at the cross. This is important for you to know. We value, I'm going to give you five things, but I want you to know these because this is where we're driving everything that we do. We value spiritual restoration. We value seeing a person that walks in here that's an A, apathetic, become a B. They become interested. We value seeing that B. Like Chase said to me a few weeks ago, I'm ready to become a C, which means I'm ready to confess and surrender my life to Christ. We want to see C's become D's, which means you start to develop as a radical disciple of Christ every day, and we want to see you become an E where you're able to equip other people. Now, I got this note the other day, and I'll call this young girl Hope, but Hope started coming to our church last summer, and Hope had had a little bumpiness in her journey. And uh, she had battled some things, and she moved from the state she was living in, and she moved down here with some other family members. And God's radically changing Hope's life. But she sent me this note the other night, and she said, I just want you to know that coming to the cross is one of the best things I've ever done in my life. My relationship with God is the best it's ever been. I feel his presence so much. I prayed to be more aware of him. And now all I have stuck in my head is worship music day and night. I'm so thankful for God's work in my life. I'm in awe of God forever. I know my failure doesn't define me. God does. That is a 24-year-old girl that started coming here. And she was open to the Holy Spirit bringing about healing in her life. And I look going, her story matters. Her story matters. And there's many of those stories in here. 
So we value spiritual restoration. We want to see you restored and transformed. We value authentic worship here. We value, number two, authentic worship. And I am so thankful that I get to work with Nick Slade when it comes to worship and song that gets it. I love the fact that Nick doesn't draw attention to himself. Nick is not up here trying to make a dig me statement where you'll like him. He is a worshiper that points people to Jesus Christ. And when I sat down with Nick over five years ago and was interviewing him about coming here, I said, Nick, your, your cousin Isaac is the lead singer of the fray. Your uncle wrote Alvin and the Chipmunks and all this other musical genius stuff. You come out of all this musical, like, wealth, if you will. What do you want to do with your life? Do you want to be famous? And Nick goes, I, I, I want to lead worship in a local church. I want to lead people to encounter Christ. I, 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 want, to, I want to sleep with my wife every night. I want to get up and be able to have breakfast with my kids. But I want to be in a church where I can just lead worship and be a part of a worship environment. And I'm like... That's what we do here because we value authentic worship. And, and check this out. One of the guys that recommended Nick to me, he's been here a couple times in the past, but my buddy Mac Powell, I was talking to him this week, and he goes, all right, let's do it. March 11th, the Cross Loganville, Sunday night, 6 p.m., let's blow it out. I'll be there. So we value authentic worship, and I've been with Mac for years. And I'm telling you, vocally, and some of the lyrics of what Mac and Third Day have done. So tickets, we'll make them available. All the proceeds are going to go toward our new children's building. But we're going to have Mac here. And we're going to pack this thing out and have a night of worship. Y'all game for that? Come on, somebody. Y'all game for that? Yes. But we value biblical truth here. We value not allocating scripture, cutting and pasting scripture, but we value handling the text within the context. And, and here's the three things I shoot at every week when I preach. Is what I'm sharing biblical? Is what I'm sharing practical? And is what I'm sharing transferable? As Dustin and I talk, he's taking people through the book of James right now. What he's doing is biblical. Is it practical? Can I do it? Yes. And then can I leave this fellowship and go into my community and transfer what God is teaching me onto other people? L listen, listen. The purpose of being here in proclamation is not to be biblical so that you can just have information. We want it to be doable and transferable. My friend Amy told me today, she said, I take your notes every week. She said, I've got a couple of coworkers that don't even go to church. And she said, I send your notes every week to my coworkers. And they'll come in and say, then tell me what God is teaching you. And she said, Tim, I don't know what God's going to do with them. But those notes are available, and I'm just not going to use them for me. I'm passing them on to coworkers to say, let me tell you what God's teaching me. That's vision right there. That is vision. We value intentional discipleship here. We value small groups. We value, Steve started today, dollars and cents. We value marriage. We've got a small group on marriage. We value a stronger body. We're helping people with nutrition, diet, and exercise. We value so many different things. We highlighted you guys last week, Danny and Krista. We value small group connectivity here. We value you getting involved, you starting to experience fellowship and growth in your life. We value that. We also value generous service. 
We believe that the greatest apologetic, our defense of the gospel to the world, is living a life of radical generosity. We believe that God has called us to generous service with our time, talents, and treasures. That's what we value. And we believe that that's what God has laid out in Scripture that we should be valuing. Now, here's an interesting thing. What is the strategy? Well, you got to have a strategy to execute what you say your value, mission, and vision is. This is it. Worship. We value worship. Just collective worship. We value living a missional life 24-7, 365. We value that wherever you're at, you're on a mission for God. You don't have to go on the other side of the pond to go on a mission trip. You can take a trip to live out your mission, but wherever you're at, you're on a mission. Living a missional life every day is crucial. And so it can be at work. It can be, again, in the gym. It can be at the ballpark. It can be wherever you're at. While you're going about life, be living a missional life. John Piper said this. Piper said missions exist because worship doesn't. Missions exist. People are now having to send out missionaries because the body of Christ is not worshiping God wherever they're at. If we were worshiping God in spirit and in truth, my buddy Jeff, it was crazy. He sent me a photo the other day praying with these ladies where he was doing this plumbing job. And I'm like, just be missional, brother. I love it. You're talking about fixing a toilet, praying for people? Do it. Get it to flush, man, and then pray it up, man. Praise <laughs> Jesus. You know what he's saying? That's what I got in my hand. I, I, I can do this. What do you got? You can be living a missional life. Again, we value small groups, small groups, small, small groups. Rachel, you've got a single, mom's, uh, single girls group that meets. And I'm like, look at how many girls are going in there. We value Bloom. We value Arise. We, we value this. We I'm telling you, that's part of our strategy of living out our values. Part of our strategy is you sharing your story wherever you're at. You sharing your story and having other people share their story with you. I mean, Dustin had been here just a couple of weeks, and my buddy Craig Shepard was over here doing something. And, and Dustin looked saying, Craig, I want, I want to hear your story. I want to hear your story. And week after week, we ask people, hey, what's your story? Tell us where your marinade is. Tell us what you're coming from, or where you're coming from. You know people like talking about themselves? So we, we, that's part of our strategy. Part of our strategy is serving. You get 10,080 minutes every week, 10,080. And so if you served 80 minutes of the 10,080, you still got close to 10,000 left over. Pretty good at math. And I'm telling you right now, you get over here and start loving on kids. My dude's out there this morning at 8.30 putting out cones. It's raining. I mean, Chug, Danny, and Don, and all these dudes are out there weathering the storm. They're like, praise God, dude. We love what we're doing. Serve. Get involved in the game. Now, Matthew 28, Great Commission. Let me read through it, but I want you to hear this. Matthew 28, Jesus spoke to them saying, resurrected Christ, resurrected Christ before he totally ascends, he looks at his disciples and these guys, and he says, now all authority has been given to me on heaven and on earth here. I've got it in heaven. I got it on earth. Now go therefore and make disciples. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to observe all that I've commanded. 
and I am with you even until the end of the age. Now, the last thing that Jesus passed on to us is what we call the Great Commission. This assignment is for every person that has repented and placed their faith in Jesus. Now, our vision at the Cross Loganville in carrying out the Great Commission is this. It's in your bulletin. Look at it. Read along with me. Over the next five years, we desire to reach, teach, and train 1,500 new disciples of Jesus Christ here at the cross. We desire to reach, to teach, and to train over the next five years 1,500 new disciples of Jesus. We can do it. I promise you, we, we, we're going to do it. It's just a matter of who's going to do it with us. This past year, we baptized just over 100 people here at the cross, people that had repented, placed their faith in Jesus, I'm going to be baptized. That's pretty cool, a couple of weeks. There were over 200 people that indicated through our men's outreach we did, through basketball camps, VBS, et cetera, Sunday morning, there were 200 people that we started looking back saying, 200 people claimed that they had repented and placed their faith in Jesus. So my question was, what, what happened to them? Where, where are the people to walk alongside other people? Are we doing everything that we can to have the right strategies and systems in place? It's like, we've got to get better. I've got to get better. Where do they go? I don't want to see them walk out the back door. I don't want to see them have a false sense of salvation and security, walking and out. Where'd they go? Who's going to follow up on them? Who's going to walk with them? So to disciple 1,500 people, over the next five years, it is going to require all of us to get up, grow up, rise up, show up, and to become the men and women of God that he desires us to be. It is going to require every one of us to have skin in the game. Every one of us. It, it, it was so crazy in the first service. And again, my buddy... Johnny Krause and his wife, Mandy, started coming last summer. Johnny's teaching in 58. Johnny's a part of helping Joe teach in Surge. And, and the connection again was Jesse, my son, as a junior in high school, living out his faith and invited them to be a part of it. Uh, the Taylors were here in the first service. And I'm like, their son was playing shortstop, praise to receive Christ. I'm like, it was Jesse intentionally just living out Christ and inviting people. I'm like, if a 17-year-old dude can do it, we can do it. We've just got to be intentional. So do you think we can reach 1,500 plus new disciples of Christ over the next five years? You doggone right I do. You doggone right I do. Do I believe that we can reach in 2018 150? Reach them, teach them, and train them? And start discipling? Yes, I do. You believe that number can increase the next year to 200? Yes. Then 300? Then 400? Then 500? Do I believe that we can reach people with the gospel? This ain't about putting butts in the seats. It's about seeing people's narratives change. When I started looking over the last year of 100, I'm like, that's 100 lives. That's 100 families. That, that's generations. That's a hundred plus eternities. I want to be a part of that. And I'm telling you right now, 
using the math that I use, there's 800 adults that call the Cross Loganville their home church. I'm using a number where only 20% of the adults participate in what I'm talking about. Each one reaching one. You guys can shatter my math. We take that number to 30, 40, 50, or maybe we get gutsy and live by faith and all of us say I'm in. What will Loganville look like? My buddy Ray Martinez sat here this morning in the first service. He sent me a note the other day. They're having their first city council meeting. First Latino, Hispanic, elected mayor of Loganville. President Trump has invited him to come to Washington, D.C. But Ray is sitting there, and he sends me a note the other day. We're having our first city council meeting. Would you come and open us up in prayer? And I'm like, you doggone right I will. Because I want to build rapport with those other guys sitting on that council. There's families represented there. Is it doable? Is it doable, guys? It's doable. What are you going to do? John Schmacker, who's about halfway nuts. John Schmacker, who is completely nuts, came to me about 15 months ago. He goes, let me tell you what I'd like to do. I'm like, all right. I'd like to see if Kroger will let me put a tent in the parking lot and just say we're going to pray for people. I'm like, all right, so how are you going to do it? So he meets up with Esposito, who is another full nut. They have recruited Patrick, who is way crazy. And they're like, that's what we're going to do. We're going to go and set up a tent in the Kroger parking lot. We're not going to put anything church-related. We're just going to put, if you need prayer, we would love to pray with you. So they go up there on a Saturday, and they set up this tent. December. So they go up there and they're hanging out and all of a sudden this dude comes out of Kroger and he sees a tent and it says prayer. We'd love to pray with you. So he puts his items in his car and he goes up there. He had had the early signs and some irritation going on of Bell's palsy. He goes up there and says, "Uh, you guys willing to pray for me? They're like, yeah, we'd love to pray for you. What's going on? So Esposito and Schmacker lay hands on him and pray for him. Pray for him. The next morning, he and his wife and kids get up. And for the first time, December 11th last year, because he told me it was on your birthday, the first Sunday I came, and I'm like, really? They walk in here for the first time. Me and this brother ended up sitting down January, having lunch for the first time. And I'm looking, going, y'all prayed over that dude. And he told me, he said, the first Sunday I showed up when I walked in, I, he said, I saw some people, but I saw that Italian dude, Esposito, and that Schmacker dude. And I'm like, oh my God, this is where they go to church. I'm like, yeah, that's, this is where they, they go to church. They're, they're serious. And Jeff and Jamie Gwynn started coming. And Jeff and Jamie Gwynn shared their testimony in front of all of you a few months ago. And Jeff and Jamie are leading a small group. And Jeff and Jamie are totally involved. And Jeff and Jamie are about to be my in-laws because my son's going to marry their daughter. And two freaks that were willing to set up a tent in a Kroger parking lot have contributed to that. They've got a part in that story. What are you going to do? We're going to go pray for people. That would honor God. 
Doesn't matter where you're doing it at. We're just going to go pray for some people. What are you doing? You're talking about from lost to leader? This has blown my mind. 11-year-old, Georgia Mudcat little baseball team. Jesse and Brandon are playing together. I start hanging out with Richard. Start hanging out with Amber. I meet Ashley and Sean. What's your marinade? I'm a little Catholic, little Baptist, really nothing lately. Well, why don't you come to church with me, dude? Come over and check out what we're doing. I might. So he shows up. He hangs for a little bit and kind of drifts for a little bit. And then he comes back. He's like, I got to sit down. I, I got to get it. I got to get this right. He takes off and heads out to Colorado. Goes to a John Eldridge Wild at Heart boot camp. Drives the stake in the ground. Comes back and tells me, I just want you to know that I'm not playing around anymore. I'm surrendering to Jesus, and it's time to get real. Baptize him. Wife, kids start showing up every week. Nine months later, Richard baptizes his wife and kids. Richard said, God has wanted me to do more. He starts taking classes, Liberty Online. He gets his counseling degree. Now he's up in Spearhead, the Arise ministry. Now he's counseling with people every week with our Crossed Up ministry. He now is spearheading our Anvil boot camp that we take guys away. You're talking about from loss to leader in three years. What happened to you? I got ambushed by the gospel. I, I, I had to move from here to there. I, I couldn't sit there any longer. I, I couldn't stay dormant. And I do not know. This is unscripted, but I do not know how a person who claims they've repented and have embraced Christ can sit around and do nothing. I don't get it. I do not get it. I had been saved for one year. I was dating this girl back home. Praise God that didn't work out and I met Barb. But the girl's mom and dad come over, and we had dinner, and I'm sharing what Christ is doing. And this dude was a pastor, this dad. The mom looked at me, looked at me 31 years ago. I've been saved for a year. And she said, well, I remember how fired up I was when I first got saved. And being like Esposito and Schmacker about halfway nuts, I looked at her and said, then what happened? <laughs> 32 plus years ago, I got ambushed by the gospel. The fire has not gone out. If anything, I'm more passionate about Jesus than ever before. I believe he is who he is. I believe he can radically transform lives. I believe it as much now, if not more now, than ever in my life. If you're not actively involved in the game, I would tell you, fall on your face and cry out to Jesus today during our prayer time and say, it is time for me to get right. It is time for me to get in the game. This thinking passive, 80 minutes a week, just going through the motions, it's doing nothing. If you don't love Jesus, going to church is a worthless activity. I'm just telling you. Now, again, this is all unscripted, so 
Don't hold my preparation accountable for what I just shared. But I do mean it. You've got to have a vision for your life. Going to all the world means as you're going about your life. Be making disciples wherever you're at. Let me give you an easy working definition of a disciple. Love it. Easy definition of a disciple. A disciple is learning to be the best that I can be and all I can be for the glory of God every day. It's not complicated. I promise you, if you've been saved two weeks, two months, two years, or 20 years, it's learning again today to be the best I can be and all I can be for God's glory, plus, 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 helping you be the best that you can be and all that you can be for God's glory. We can read every definition we want to on discipleship. One beggar telling another uh, beggar where bread is found. That's right, that's right, that's right. But it's me waking up saying, I want to be all I can be and the best I can be for God's glory. And then I come alongside Miss June, Miss Claire, Marty, and I, I look at you girls and I'm like, I want to see you now be the best that you can be. And it doesn't matter what our age is, what matters is then I want you to go out and help others be the best that they can be for the glory of God.